to whom do you pray? To whom do you pray? When you think about that, and as we celebrate this great parable of Jesus' mercy about the tax collector and the Pharisee going to the temple to pray. When I was four years old, or my dad asked me a question. He said, do you think mom is sincere? I go, yeah, she's a sinner. I thought it was kind of funny. Anyways. <laughs> Any sinners present this morning? Okay. I think we got about 100% on that survey says. I'd be curious, what do you think? You don't have to tell me, but what do you think? And personally apply it to your life too, okay? This isn't a way to guilt you, unless it does to get you to the infinite font of God's mercy in the sacrament of confession. But what percentage of Catholics you think go to confession? I don't have an answer for you, but we should have an answer for ourselves. I go once a month. The Lord hears the cry of the poor. Blessed be the Lord. That's the, the song that I chose for my ordination to the priesthood because I'm poor. I'm in need. I'm in utter poverty each and every moment. Pray for that. Get to that. Be that. The Lord hears the cry of the poor. The prayers of the lowly pierce the clouds. They go right to the heart of Jesus. The unself-righteous is what we're called to be, the unself-righteous. Sin, sin's a problem, because in sin we're separated from seeing, and to be separated from seeing means, biblically, to see is to have, to have the presence of Christ in our lives. And when we don't see, when we don't have that presence, then we become very sad. Sad. Satan always divides. Satan will always seek to divide us. So it's like this. We see this, say this is us, and with the ability to see reality. This is the ability to see ourselves as we are, to see others, to see all creation, and then the ability to see God. So this is the vision that we're looking for. You could say in a sense, this is the beatific vision that we're created for. But what sin does, and I forgot to tell you at the beginning of the homily, I was excited because I got to play with mud today in the homily, okay? So what sin does is it comes in and it destroys, de uh, distorts, it damages the vision of God such that we can't see. It's just, we have a false image of God. Because I guarantee you if we had the true image of God, we will be running and beating down the doors of the confessional. Amen? But do we believe? Do we really believe that? So this is what happens in sin, is that we don't see, and then if we don't see, we don't have. And then if we don't have, we're sad. And we can have that sadness that goes on and on and on. Some that's been in my heart, just working on my heart. Recently, I sat down with an 84-year-old man, and he looked at me, and he said, I'm not worthy. And my heart's been full of sorrow and sadness, 
84 years living in a dungeon of a condemnation that will not end, that will not let up. Sound familiar? Does that resonate with you? Because with so many people in ministry and in my own life, it resonates. I'm sad. There could be so much more mercy and joy and love and grace and friendship in our world. But for you. But for me. Are we away for that for others? Are we in the way? How are we adding that to everybody all the day long? The question is, to whom do you pray? It's a very important question. Think about that. Does it ever really go beyond you? Or specifically, are you a Jansenist or a Christian? What do I mean by Jansenist? It's a big heresy that plagued the church, especially in the 17th century and the 18th century. And it just was a really distorted view of God. It was a sinful view of God, actually. It's called Catholic Puritanism. It's called self-righteousness, like the Pharisee in our gospel today. By the way, Pharisee means separated one. I'm separate. Thank God I'm not like the rest of humanity. Please. Jansenism also says it's the heresy that breaks the Lord's heart more than any other. Why? Because it teaches joyless moral rigorism that keeps people running from the Lord. Again, note the Pharisee in the gospel. Who's he running to? Very much running away from the Lord. It makes a spiritual life kind of like a puritanical Olympics, a painful penances and deprivations such that only the elite, self-denying, gold medal winners get to receive God's love. If I just do these prayers and just do these penances and, and just do all this. In that, who's missing from the equation? Imagine a church, and sadly, I'm part of that church sometime where self-righteous hypocrites, the scribes and the Pharisees rule the day and sinners have no hope of God's mercy. They're not given that. They're given Jansenism. You must do this and this and this and pray and penance and go to adoration and pray all these things. The key words are justice and punishment and wrath. How many of those maybe of the older ilk heard that growing up day after day? Imagine what the church was, is doing to Jesus Christ, who came for not the self-righteous, but sinners, who gave his life to take away our sins. Do we ever think about Jesus' heart breaking? Because we don't really allow him in. On December 27th, 1673, from the tabernacle, Jesus cast his gaze out over Europe and was looking for a friend, searching for a friend, 
who unburdened his heartache and through whom he might finally convince people to believe in his tender love and mercy. Well, he found that friend in the form of a little French nun in a convent. Her name, Sister Mary Margaret Alacouc. To her soul, her blessed soul, he released an ocean of anguish as he disclosed his divine heart, Jesus' heart. He mourned people's coldness, inattention, irreverence, indifference, and contempt for Jesus' extravagant, reckless, endless love. What Jesus said to her, I quote, this hurts me more, he told me, than everything I suffered in my passion. Even a little love from them in return, and I should regard all that I have done for them as next to nothing, and look for a way of still doing more. Even a five-minute confession, even ten minutes in adoration, even more than the very minimal, 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 minimal hour in church today, that he would deign to do more than that. The Pharisee, like the Jansenist, runs to himself in our parable today, takes his haughty position, plays God in declaring himself just. And who does he pray to? As I find many of us do, including me, he prays to himself. And that's all he gets. Condemnation. Sin. Sad. Satan always devise. The tax collector, in contradistinction, says, think about the tax collector and think about the worst of the worst. That's who Jesus is pointing out. He was pointing out the terrorist, the child molester. That's who he was bringing in in this parable. And the tax collector, he runs to God in confession. Friends, be humble like water. It always rushes to the lowest place. It always rushes to the lowest place. We can be so puffed up with our opinions or what we think's right. But can we pray to be humble like water and let Jesus teach us the way, give him priority to how we are, how we're defined? The tax collector knows that it's really not about his life, what he's done, or what he's failed to do. It's about the one he runs to. His life is about the one he prays to. So think about that, my friends. To whom do you pray? I'm sure he was totally simpatico with what the deeply sad and grieving heart of Jesus 
shared with Sister Margaret Mary Alacook. He said this, Behold this heart. Behold this heart that so deeply loves mankind that it spared no means of proof, wearing itself out until it was utterly spent, utterly given, totally sacrificed, utterly spent. Let that seep into your bones. And in our poverty, cry out and let our prayers pierce the clouds right to the sacred heart of Jesus. That's whom we pray to. Have you ever really run to him? Have you ever really prayed to him? To him has spared no means to prove his love for us. Friends, what more could he do for you? Maybe we really don't know him and his tender mercy because we've never really prayed and made him not ourselves, the center of our prayer.